Hello and welcome to the Speaking For Him podcast. My name is Andrew Gomison, and I have the privilege of being your host each and every week. I'm super excited that you have chosen to spend some time with me today, and I hope that it will help you on your journey of the Christian life. Because we know if we've been on this journey for any length of time, or even just starting out, that this journey is a marathon and not a sprint, and we need each other. So I hope that you have been blessed by having people in your life to encourage you, and I am blessed to be one of those people. Today we will be continuing on in our series about considering one another, and we're going to talk about the first of the headings that I mentioned from the article in our intro episodes, and that is to have Christ's mind, to have the mind of Christ. And I'm super excited that my good friend James Wozneski will be joining me for a wonderful discussion on that topic. But before we jump into that, I wanted to share with you a video testimony from Jeff Foxworthy, of all people, that just moved me a great deal. I've watched it several times now, and each time I watch it, I am just so amazed at the wonderful providence of God. And I really echo a lot of what Jeff says in this testimony when it comes to my own ministry. I just want to go where God wants to send me, and I want to be used in whatever way God has for me to be used. So before we jump into today's topic, let's enjoy this testimony from comedian Jeff Foxworthy. This was at a fairly recent Be Bold for Jesus conference. Getting requested to do so many things that I can't do them all, and I pray over them and say, God, if you want me to do something in here, tell me to do it, and I'll do it. And I, I'm a bow hunter. I'm a big outdoor guy. And so I get invited to speak at a lot of wild game dinners, and I got invited to speak at a wild game dinner in Claxton, Georgia. It's where they make the fruit cakes for Christmas, Claxton, Georgia. And, I, and, and so I told a buddy, I said, I think God wants me to go down and speak at this thing. Will you ride with me? Because it was a four-and-a-half-hour drive, and we ride down there. And we get there, and y'all, it is a goat rope. It is a goat rope. It's a field. They have no stage, no lights, and no microphone. And 3,000 people showed up. And so we put pallets down, put a piece of plywood on it. I stood on it. They shined lights from trucks on me, and I yelled. And I did comedy for about 30 minutes, and then I rolled it over into a story about Jesus. On the way back home to Atlanta that night, my buddy just kept laughing. He goes, that's the one God told you to do. He goes, oh my gosh, what a go rope. That was was crazy. A couple years later, we're at church one Sunday. My girls are in the bathroom again. They spend a lot of time there. And, And I'm standing in the hall waiting on them. And this guy comes up and taps me on the shoulder. And he says, hey, do you remember speaking at a wild game dinner in Claxton? And I started laughing. I said, oh, yeah. And I said, I'm never going to forget Claxton. He said, well, neither am I. He said, I wasn't brave enough that night to come down, but I gave my life to Jesus that night. And y'all just started crying. And it was like, if 
God had said to me, would you drive down to Claxton for this one guy? I would have said, you bet. You bet. Headed there now. And my wife told me later, she said, let me tell you what's so cool about God. He didn't even have to show you that. You could have spent the rest of your life making fun of Claxton. He said, but he showed you that to let, to encourage you that when he whispers to you and you say, yes, he does what he does. So whatever it is you do in your life, be bold for him. Do not be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Because he is our only hope. If any of us here had to depend on ourselves for our salvation, we'd be the most miserable people on earth because I would fail and you would fail. But it's not through our performance. It's through his grace. And there's a world out there that desperately needs to hear that. They already know they can't perform. That's why they're on the street. But you need to tell them there's hope and that's the difference. And it's love, joy, and peace. Love on them. Show them the joy that you have and the peace you have that passes understanding. You don't have to know to to understand what's going on in the Middle East. You don't have to understand what's going on in Ukraine. Because God says it's not your job to understand it. It's my job. You be at peace because I made you a covenant promise and I'm never, ever, ever going to break it. I was worried about talking to y'all. And I'm back there, and I just said, Lord, you say what you want to say, and I'll hold the microphone. So God bless you. Be encouraged. Be bold for Jesus every day because it is the only thing that matters. God bless you. Thank you for having me. As I said, I echo the sentiments of my brother, Jeff Foxworthy. When I step behind this microphone to do the podcast, my biggest prayer is that I will step behind this microphone as a willing vessel and that God will say through me what he has to say to you each week. There have been many times throughout the 11 years that I've been doing this podcast where I'm not sure what I'm going to share. And then God opens up the floodgates and says, this, this is what I want you to share. And as we consider, no pun intended, this idea of considering one another, it really helps us to contemplate and to realize who is in control. So much as Jeff Foxworthy said, may we all be the type who will simply hold the microphone and let God say what it is he has to say. Well, as I said, today we will be discussing the first of the six categories, I believe, from the original article, The Art of One Anothering from Desiring God. And that first heading is the heading of having Christ's mind. Having the mind of Christ. I think this is something that we all need to consider because the term Christian, if we call ourselves Christian, is to be Christ-like or to be little Christs. Interestingly enough, 
the church was called Christians first in Antioch, and the context kind of leads me to believe that it was considered as an insult. And Paul reminds us that he is okay being a fool as long as it is being a fool for Christ. So let's jump in with our quote of the day before we begin the meat of our discussion. Our quote of the day comes from a very familiar passage of Scripture, but I think it's very important for us to revisit Scripture on the regular, and specifically those Scriptures that become almost too familiar to us, because the Word of God is living and powerful, and even in these familiar passages we find gems to live by. So let's consider Philippians 2, 5-8. to Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So when we consider having the mind of Christ, we need to remember the attitude that Christ had when he came to this earth. It was an attitude of extreme humility. Simply the fact that he chose to inhabit a human body, to be born as a baby, and to walk this earth for 33 years of perfect living so that he could fulfill the law on our behalf, that is humility. That is the mind that he had for us. But as if that wasn't enough, because it wasn't, he takes it to the next level and becomes obedient to his Father to the point where he is willing to be separated from his Father on the cross and to die on the cross so that you and I will never have to die, so that we will have eternal life. Now, of course, we will die physically because of the curse of sin in the world, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, we will be born, if we believe on him, to eternal life. And that is very exciting. And when we think about the fact that this is the very Son of God doing this for us, and he was perfect and he had every reason not to do this for us, because we as a society, we as a race of people still spit in his face, we still disregard him, we still reject him, he nonetheless chose humility and love. And how can we, as his followers, do any less? And so as we dig into this important topic about having his mind, having the mind of Christ, may we do so from a perspective of realizing that Jesus knows all of our weaknesses and he loves us anyway. The psalm says he remembers that we are dust and he loves us anyway. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. 
And so we as believers in Jesus should be that to our fellow men. And of course, I use men in the generic sense because this includes women as well. I hope that you will all be encouraged by that. And now I am super excited that my friend James Wozneski has consented to join us again for the Speaking for Him podcast. So let's get to that all-important discussion as we continue on this journey of considering one another and having his mind. I'm super thrilled to have my friend James Wozneski back on the show with us today. And as I said in our intro, we are digging into our One Another series and we are talking about the first of the headings from the Desiring God article, which is to have his mind. Or another way to put it is to have the mind of Christ. So welcome, James, to this discussion. Thanks for having me again. I think maybe initially I'll just ask you what comes to mind to you when you think about having the mind of Christ. When you say having the mind of Christ, you know, I kind of think of, um, you know, how it says in, I'm trying to remember where, but um, I think it's First Corinthians, um, do not follow the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the, the renewal of your mind. And it makes me think that ever since Christ saves us, that everything changes from the inside out and how through Christ we become a new creation. Um, we, the old things pass away, the new has already come, and that we have the mindset of Christ in everything. And um, we seek to enjoy each other's company. We love each other as Christ has loved us. Everything mirrors that of Christ as kind of like an older brother. We kind of act like him in everything, and we're, we kind of want to be like him more and more in that regard, if that makes sense. Absolutely it does, and we're going to delve into some of that today. Uh, I have a couple of different headings as we consider this idea of having the mind of Christ. And the first thing I want us to consider as we're considering having Christ's mind, is that we are called to follow his example. Now, James and I have some verses that we're going to talk about uh, with you, my audience, uh, today. And so we're going to take turns reading those verses. So, James, why don't you read the first verse under that heading? All right. Following his example. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John 2, 6. So as we consider this, what's the best way for us to know how to walk in our Christian life? Well, a good way to start is to read the Gospels and to pay particular attention to the letters in red because those are the very words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in order to walk the way he walked, we need to have his mind, and as a part of that, have his words. 
Do you have any thoughts on this verse in particular, James? What what you said makes a good point. Um, My uncle says it in a great way. I like the way he puts it, that Jesus came, first of all, to save us from our uh, relationship with God, We uh, to reconcile us to God. And secondly, to serve as the perfect example of how we ought to live. And what you said right there hits the bullseye. All right, well, the next verse that we're going to consider talks about his example more specifically when Peter writes, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And that's First Peter 2.21-25. And in this passage, we are told specific things that Jesus did that we should follow in his example. He did no sin, so we are to strive to live a holy life. There was no guile found in his mouth. He never said anything evil, never cut people down with his words, and he was always measured, and he always said things for a specific reason at a specific time with a specific goal, and it was to build people up and to make them better. And then we see how he responded to the way other people treated him. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So we see that he did not retaliate. He did not return evil for evil, but he returned good for evil. And truly, he had to do that because we would not be capable of doing good unless he had given us that example and unless he had lived that perfect life and unless he had fulfilled the law on our behalf. And then it gets into the part that he did that we cannot do, which is who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. And then Peter talks about our state before Jesus, that for you were as sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So Peter is walking us through the life of Jesus, and then he talks about what Jesus did that we couldn't do, and then he talks about the life that we have now that we have Jesus. All of these things are so very important to our Christian walk. Do you have any additional thoughts, James? I don't know about you, but when reading this, I can kind of see some um, other verses that kind of connect to it, like um, having um, no uh, who didn't no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. It makes me think of um, Isaiah 53, where it said, um, 
where it says that there was no deceit in his mouth and before his shearers, he was silent. And that also kind of goes into the next one too, I'll say, because it really just shows you. Um, I, I was just finishing actually <laughs> the other day with my mother, the crucifixion of Jesus. And Pilate was amazed that Jesus said nothing against the things that people were hurling at him. <laughs> and also the part where he said that we can't really relate to him bearing all the sins and that um, by him, uh, by his stripes, we are healed. It's, it's incredible because it makes me think of um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 that goes, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. And like you said for the last one, that like sheep we went astray, but we can return to the shepherd because of the righteousness of Christ. Absolutely. And that is the goal of the Speaking for Him podcast, is to help people return to a close relationship with the Lord if they've drifted away or to come to know the Lord for the very first time. Now, it is the position of speaking for him, and I know it's your position too from our conversations, that a true believer cannot lose their salvation. Because I think I've talked to you about this before, that if it was possible for me to lose my salvation, I would, because I lose a lot of things, and I'm human, and I fail. But Jesus says that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. What a wonderful promise that is, that he will walk beside us and we may drift, but like David, we can say, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Notice he doesn't say, restore to me my salvation. He doesn't say, restore to me your salvation. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He knew that his standing with God was intact. But he wanted that fellowship back, and so should we. So, James, what is the next heading that we are considering? To put others first. Would you read the first passage under that heading, please? Of course. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. That is Matthew twenty twenty six through 28. And James, you get to lead this one off, so let's hear some of your thoughts about this verse. Sure. Let me, let me a little bit dissect it as we're speaking through it. So begins with saying that we shall uh, shall not be so among you that whoever is great among you, let him be your minister. And whoever is the chief among you, let him be your servant. So basically um, it starts with kind of like correlating to how, um, how should I put this? Yeah. Um, the one who is chiefed over us should be that of a servant, basically taking the humble position rather than the higher position. And it says right here that Jesus even puts into correlation of his own self, just as he, the son of man, uh, did not come to be ministered unto, 
but to minister and to give his life for a ransom of many. Basically, he did not come to um, serve, but to be, no, he did not be served, but to serve. Absolutely. And it's very interesting to look at this term son of man, because you and I were discussing recently the importance of that. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, yes, I am the son of God. Yes, I came to save you, but I also am a man. And if I, as a man, can be a minister to others, if I can come to serve rather than to be served, then you as my disciples can do the same. And the same thing that he told his 12 when he said these words, he's saying to you and me today, and he's saying to those who are listening, to look at life as an opportunity to serve one another. In Galatians, he says, you are given liberty in Galatians chapter 1, but then he says later in the chapter, do not use your liberty to accomplish your own goals or to do whatever you want, but by love serve one another. And so that is a very important thing for us to consider. The next verse that I want to share with you, the passage is from Matthew 18, 1 to 5. And I do think that some of these longer passages are important because when we take one verse or two verses, it can be kind of easier to take them out of context. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. So in this passage, we see a continuation of the theme from the former passage, which is that we need to be humble and we need to have the faith of a little child when coming to Jesus. It's kind of an interesting contrast, too, because Paul talks about becoming a man and putting away childish things. So having the faith of a child is not acting childish. Let's consider that distinction first of all that we can act manly, that we can act mature, that we can be leaders and guiders and protectors in our society and still have the faith of a child. When you tell a child something, their first instinct is to believe you because they have a simple faith. And if you're an authority in their life, they have no reason to not believe you because you said it and they trust you as an authority in their life. And so Jesus is saying in the same way that this child has a simple faith, you should have a simple faith as well. And I just love the fact that God, that God does not get complicated on it. He gives us very simple truths to consider and to follow. And Again, this juxtaposition between what the world considers great and what God considers great. God says, be humble and come to me like a child. 
and the world says, look out for number one, do whatever makes you feel happy. I see a lot of Facebook memes that say, pursue your own happiness and don't let other people dissuade you from that. And I get what it's saying to a certain extent. We can't allow people to derail us from what we are really called to do. There, there's a certain level to which Christians should even adapt this mindset. But usually when people say that, they are saying, all I care about is myself and I don't care about the people around me. And that is the opposite of what Jesus has said in these two verses. So do you have any additional thoughts on Matthew 18, 1 to 5? Yeah, um, think of a little child as well in this way, that they submit to their parents everything. They know that they would take care of them. They know that they would give them the food to eat. They would help them if they need help. It's as simple as that. And honestly, like I said before, kind of like an older brother figure, um, looking up to him and... um, submitting obviously to the authority of the parents over him, but also as an older brother in the faith of Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, we mirror that of him and to grow like him. So far we have discussed following his example and putting others first. The third heading we're going to consider today is be at peace. If we have the mind of Christ, we will have peace in our lives. And so I want to share with you the first scripture under that heading. And it's from Isaiah 26, three and four. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord, Jehovah is everlasting strength. And I just really like the simplicity of this. If we keep our mind on Christ, then our mind will not wander to other things. I don't know about you, James, but sometimes when I lay down at night, I think about a ton of things that I haven't thought about all day. And I often delve into the past and sometimes think about the foolish things I did once or the uncomfortable situations that I had. And I need to remember to put my mind on Christ and allow him to use my past to teach me, but not to be held captive by it. And so I really appreciate uh, this verse for that reason. Do you have any thoughts? When you said keep our eyes on Christ, it kind of made me think of that part in Pilgrim's Progress where evangelist points and says, do you see that light? And uh, Christian says, no, but do you see the gate? Do you see the gate? And for those that don't know, in my archives of my podcast, there is a full cast recording of the book Pilgrim's Progress over a 10-episode arc from a couple of years ago. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that, and you'll, you will hear the scene that James just referred to, um, and I think you'll enjoy it. I'm sorry for interrupting you there, James. Yeah, no, that's why I think of immediately because um, it also kind of makes me think of this song I really like a lot. 
um, called He Will Hold Me Fast. Um, When I fear, my faith will fail. He will hold me fast. Um, Though the tempter would prevail, he he will hold me fast. Um, And it just, all the verses of that song really kind of relate, relate to this, that looking onto Jesus is the only thing will keep us on the right path really and it's it's a comforting thing to just rely on him not on what we say or anything it's on only christ and it's a comfort in that that we can just like the heading says we can be at peace because we know that we have um an advocate with the father that being jesus christ All right, well, let's move on to our next passage. And James, will you read that for us? Yes, I can. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you not as the world giveth give i unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid and that is john 14 26 and 27 james do you have any initial thoughts on this passage i'll say it again for crying out loud isn't it cool that the holy spirit is called the comforter <laughs> like um yeah it will um basically teach us all things and when we're i i heard this introduction of this podcast i liked listening to and this uh person was saying um obviously it was somebody that was like a false teacher they were saying that um uh, ma- mankind when they're saved they'll be like god and man all together at once but no it's actually better than that that God will continue to be God, man will continue to be man, but God will come on to man, and that anyone who is saved has God inside of himself, that being the Holy Spirit. And it's incredible, really, that um, we don't... And literally right there, Jesus even says it's not um, what the world gives, a peace that the world gives, but it's a peace that... Jesus gives us. The world can always try to satisfy that, but Jesus ultimately can satisfy it. For crying out loud, he is God himself. It's significant what you said about Jesus being with us and in us through the Holy Spirit, because Jesus even says, unless I go away, the comforter comforter cannot come. So we look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and we realize that the Holy Spirit came upon people at specific times for specific purposes, but he wasn't a constant companion of people in the Old Testament. Then Jesus comes and is the personification of God, the fullness of God, the Godhead bodily, and then he tells the disciples, I'm going away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit, which will guide you into all truth and can be with you at all times. That's how he's able to see, say, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
is because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, the next verse that we are going to consider is from Philippians 4, 6, 8, which reads, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So in this passage, Paul is saying, be careful. And then, and in this context, it's talking about being anxious. Be anxious for nothing. You know, anxiety in our world is at an all-time high. And I really think it's because people look everywhere but to Jesus for answers. There's all kinds of chaos, and people scratch their heads and ask themselves why. But they don't want to be accountable to an all-knowing, all-powerful God who created them. You know, if you create something, you have power over it. You have control over it. You can make it do what you want it to. You can use it for whatever purpose you have for it. And so the creator God has the right and the prerogative to do that with us, to use us however he wants to, and we need only to submit. There's actually, this actually goes back to the video that I shared uh, in the introduction, which was a testimony from Jeff Foxworthy, the comedian. And he said that he was nervous about coming out to share that. But he said, I just told God that I would hold the microphone and that I would say what he would have me to say and that he could say through me whatever it was the audience needed to hear. And that resonated with me because every time I come to do a podcast, that's what I pray that God will say what he wants to say. And I'll just sit behind the microphone and be the willing vessel. And then Paul talks about how the results of this and being thankful will give us a peace that passes all understanding. Notice this isn't a happiness. If I lose a loved one, I'm not going to be happy. I will probably be grieving. I will probably be crying. But there's also a peace that passes all understanding if that person is a believer, knowing that I will see them again. And then it says, that peace will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It will keep you, in a sense, sane. When everything else is going out of control, you know that you can rely on Jesus. And then the final verse is just telling us all the things that we should think on. Because we we are always thinking. We can't think of nothing. You know, there's a joke that says men can think of nothing. And I guess on occasion we can come pretty close. But for the most part, we can't think of nothing. So we need to replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And so that's why this list, the true things, the honest things, the just things, the pure things, the lovely things, the things of good report, the things of virtue, and the things of praise, those are the things that we should focus on. 
So do you have any thoughts, James? I'm going to go a little bit back to what you said about um, how anxiety is at an all-time high lately, it seems, that I've shared with you before that I kind of get stressed out rather easily with certain things. And that being the last time we kind of saw each other um, about having an apartment with a brother of mine. Um, And after a while, it was kind of haunting kind of me wanting to go to sleep. However, to set the mind, our minds on knowing that God's in control of everything and that he knows of everything and he can do whatever he wants really is the greatest comfort of all. And like it says at the end of uh, kind of like the first part of the passage that, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts in mind through Christ Jesus. Just the comfort that God is like that. He, like you said, I love the way you put it. That if it just, it's an amazing thing to know there's a creator behind it and we don't need to worry about anything. There's a creator behind it. We're just the creation. He can do whatever he pleases and it's so comforting and, you know, knowing that. So, James, what is the next aspect for our consideration today? That is to be confident. And the passage it says for this one is in Luke 23, 46. That being, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And I'm going to let you give some reflections on that before I delve extremely deeply into this. But I just wanted to comment here before you do that, that I've always been struck by this, that even though Jesus has gone through this pain and torment physically and spiritually, even though he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that God incidentally could say to us later, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even though he's been through this ordeal, at the end, he still says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He still believed that God would be in ultimate control and that he could trust God the Father with his spirit as he died. So what are your thoughts on this passage? Well, this was, let me just say in parentheses, the end of the life of Jesus it really shows from the beginning until the very end of his earthly ministry, he was confident. And if Jesus is that way, we should mirror that of him. And it's, it should give us a sense of confidence in knowing that we have peace with God and we can be confident just like Jesus was to the point of death that we can be too. And whom shall I fear? Um, what can mere mortals do to me? Uh, it's just, it's a comforting thought that even at the point of death, Jesus even was this way. And like I said, Jesus is the perfect example. Why shouldn't we as well? It kind of reminds me of what I consider the best win-win proposition in scripture where Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was like, 
If I live, I'm going to keep proclaiming the gospel. If you kill me for proclaiming the gospel, then I'm going to be with Christ, which in many ways is far better. So either way I went. And I just think about that when I read this passage and I think of the confidence of Jesus to know that he was still in a place where his father would receive his spirit and that he could be confident in that. Just amazing to think about. And now we come to one of my favorite passages in John 10, 27 to 30, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And when I think about this passage, this is the passage that I always go to when I start to have doubts, because we all have doubts from time to time about what God is doing or about our salvation, even. But we can know that we are not only in Jesus' hand, but we are in the Father's hand. And no one can pluck us out. Again, if I could walk away from him, I would. Because we read in Romans chapter 1 that there's nothing in me naturally that seeks God anyway. So the very fact that I'm with God is a testament to the mercy of God. So I think that is so encouraging to me, and I hope it is to those who are listening, that if God's got you, he's got you. Do you have any thoughts, James? Well, I'll just say this. Um, God is better than Allstate. You are in good hands. (laughs) No, I I wanted to make that little joke. Um, No, that's awesome. I mean, we do use that phrase for Allstate insurance. Why do they use that phrase? Because it's something that we have come to think of as a safety thing to be in good hands. If we're doing a project and we give somebody that's responsible responsibility over a part of it, we know that it's in good hands. We use that phrase often. So like you said, there's no greater hands than the hands of our father in heaven and his son, Jesus Christ. So do you want to go ahead and read the next scripture? Sure thing. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your reflection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. So what are your initial thoughts on this scripture, James? Well, if you are risen with Christ, you should seek things which are above, that being um, that Christ who sits at the right hand of God. So set your reflection on things above, not on the things of this earth. Instead of thinking about kind of like what are people thinking of me, instead of thinking, 
what does the Lord think of what I'm doing? Think of it in that aspect. Don't look at it as the earthly realm, but look at it in the spiritual realm. And that for you are dead. And your life. So, yeah, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins that Paul writes. And that that we have life in Christ. Why wouldn't we want to rest and have our eyes sought on above? That being through Jesus Christ, who made us alive, not on ourselves, for we were dead in our sins. We, we What can a dead man do? It will just sit there. We should sit on the thing that gives us life support, in other words, and rely on it. Very good. And the tie-in to confidence for this passage is that you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. There's an old hymn that says, More secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. And the idea of this is Christ sits as the Son of God. He is the Son of God in whom the Father said he was well pleased. And the book of Hebrews says that if we are redeemed, Jesus is our brother. We are joint heirs with God of the things above. And so we can have confidence that our old man is dead, that even though we may war against him to a certain degree, Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 7, we can still have the confidence to know that ultimately our old man is dead and our new man is renewed day after day, as Paul writes in another passage. I think the most exciting thing about Bible studies like this is you can always find more passages of scriptures that tie in. As I have often reflected, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So as you're listening to this podcast, I hope that more scriptures are coming to mind that we haven't had time to mention here and that you will use this to enhance your own study of the Word of God. So we come now to our final heading, and that is to love others. We are called to love others because that's what Jesus Christ did. So I'm going to read the first passage here. It says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And that's John 13, 34, and 35. And one of the things that I find really interesting about this passage is that Jesus, at this point, is talking to believers, and more, more specifically, to his disciples. But he doesn't say that the world will see your love for me by loving them, which, of course, is true. But he says that the primary way that people will see your love for Christ is the way that you love the church. There's another passage where Paul says, do good unto all men, but especially of the household of faith. So even as we are doing good in the world, we are to prioritize those who are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I just love the fact that love of one another, your your love for me, my love for you, can be the love that draws other people 
into the kingdom because they see the way we love one another and they want to be a part of that. And that just makes me very excited and happy when I think about it. Do you have any additional thoughts on this passage, James? Lately, I've been trying to become a church member at my church. And um, I like the way my pastor put it. How can there's no such thing as a Christian who loves Christ but doesn't love the church? Because everywhere it mentions the church, Christ is before it. Just the other day, for example, um, I was able to meet with some brothers and uh, their wives and their children. We were able to have lunch all together and to be able to love one another. And we bonded in a, such an amazing way. We, I don't know very much about them, but we dis- probably disagree on many things. But we can have unity with one another because of Christ. We can disagree on different things. However, the most important thing we must agree on is Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can be like, it feels like we're best of friends. We seem like brothers and sisters, like the Bible says all the time. And that we we were helping each other out with um, prayer requests. And even on top of that, too, just things going on in each other's lives. And even um, to help each other out, because one of them was in the same class as me. We were helping each other out with... Um, Uh, the work that we needed to do to become a member. It was kind of incredible to just see that fellowship and friendship develop. And I'm not just for those brothers and sisters, but all different kinds I could name. It's amazing how fast you can bond with someone when you have the blood of Christ as the backdrop for your friendship. Can you read the next passage? Hereby perceive we, the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. First John three sixteen. This is another passage, incidentally, about loving others because of Christ's love for us. What are your thoughts on this passage? Yeah. Um, kind of makes me think of... Um, like what Paul says in Romans, how he wishes that he could um, lay down his life for those who do not believe. How much different is the love that we have for one another as Christians? Um, That we want to lay down our lives as Christ did for the church. And may may I go as far to say, think of the roles of marriage, the man and the woman, the man wanting to lay down his own life for the church. Because that's how much he loves her and how much Christ loved the church that he laid down his life for her. And as followers, we should submit to Christ and the wife also to submit to the husband. And it's amazing that like we should love these people because Christ first loved us. He didn't love us because there's something attractive. No. And why I say this is because there might be people in the church that we disagree with, you know. But we should be wanting to lay down our lives for that person, not because there's something attractive about us. Think of what Christ did. He laid down his life because of nothing that was attractive. But while we were still dead in our sins, how amazing is that? Why wouldn't we want to mirror that of Christ? 
And to your point about marriage and the man having responsibilities and the woman having responsibilities, I don't think we consider that enough. How it does mirror Christ in the church. We wouldn't say to Christ, let us be ahead of you. I mean, we might personally in certain ways where we get ahead of God, but in general, when we're thinking about Christ in the church, we realize that Christ is the head of the church for the church is good. You know, some people get a little bent out of shape when they read that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands in that passage as Christ, as the church does to Christ. But it's important to realize that the majority of the verses in that long passage are admonitions to men to protect, to care, to provide, to lay down their life. All these things they're told to do for the women that God brings into their life. So it's important to keep that in perspective, to realize that it really is a blessing um, as a woman, and it's intended to be a blessing as a woman to be protected. And it is supposed to be a good example of Christ in the church. And so hopefully we, as the church, can really bring that to the forefront and show people how marriage is supposed to be different within the church than it is outside of the church. Well, we have one final passage for our consideration today. Let me first say thank you, James, for co-hosting today. I've really enjoyed our conversation, um, and I hope uh, to have you back on again. I think this whole series is going to be a good series for us to realize how we should put into action the things that we learn in the scriptures. So the final uh, verse that I want to share with us about loving like Christ as having the mind of Christ is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but live unto him which died for them and rose again. We see in this passage that the love of Christ is like nothing else. He loved us so much that even though we were enemies, even though we spit in his face, some of us metaphorically in history, some literally, he still loved them enough to die for them. He still loves us enough to die for us. He didn't die for us because we were mostly good and we just needed a little bit more padding to be perfect. He died for us because we were without strength. In Romans, it says, while we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly in due time. He did it when it needed to happen according to God's divine plan. And then we see, well, if Christ died for all, then all were dead. Like we were talking about earlier, we are dead without Christ. And now, thanks to him, we can be dead to sin. Either way, there has to be a death. So that's an important thing to consider. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So this shows our ultimate calling as believers that we're not supposed to live unto ourselves, 
We're not supposed to live for our own goals, but we're supposed to live to honor and please the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have any thoughts, James? The gospel is the only story where the hero dies for the enemy. Why wouldn't you want to honestly surrender your entire life to the one who's been so kind enough as to save you and mirror that every day for your enemies and even those who are brothers and sisters of this same faith? So we have been considering what it means to have his mind, to have the mind of Christ. And the headings that we considered were to follow his example, to put others first, to be at peace, to be confident, and to love others. Those five things should all characterize those of us who are pursuing the mind of Christ. Now, we won't do this perfectly every time. We all have failings. Um, we won't be perfect this side of glory, but we are supposed to strive for holiness. We are supposed to press on for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing on is an active endeavor. It's not something that we do once and then rest on our laurels, so to speak. It's something that we constantly are working to do. Paul gives the analogy that if you are going to be a soldier, you have to endure hardness as a soldier. And you have to keep your body in subjection in order to run the race well. And this whole podcast is about encouraging people on the journey that we call the Christian life. And so I hope that you are encouraged today and that if you are, you will share this podcast episode with your family and friends. I hope that you'll contact us with the contact information that will run at the end of the show. And if you have any specific encouragement for James, I will make sure that he gets it. James, I'm so glad that you are here today. Please feel free to share with us any final thoughts you have on the things we've considered today. I just want to thank you once again for having me be on here. And honestly, I think we can't stress enough talking about how we should love one another as Christ has loved us. That while we are yet still sinners, that Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. And why shouldn't we, why wouldn't you want to be like Christ in that? And it's important. And yeah, it's just, it's something we should do every day. Deny ourselves daily. Pick up our cross and follow him. And Love one another as Christ had loved us. I love you, Brother Andrew. I love you as well, James. Again, thank you so much for being here. Well, that's about all we have time for today, folks, but we hope that you're encouraged. As I said, please share this with someone that you think could use encouragement. There is actually a whole library of podcasts and sermons at my website at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking the number for him.com. I would really like you to go there and there's a form there that you can fill out. If you want to contact me with any prayers, concerns, questions, or comments, I would love to hear from you. And with that being said, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 